Guys, welcome to Bravo. That's not the one they printed. Back already. Uh, that's the one you printed. Yes. We shot him in Phil's backyard. <laughs> Pheasant hunting in your backyard? I didn't know about that. I didn't either. I didn't either. I didn't either. I mean, we've had fish camp, we've got deer camp. I don't know. Camp, camp, they must have killed a chicken. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we continue in the series of Jesus. I'm going to jump in here. It's not. You act shocked. The message is it the message. Oh, yeah. Uh, Don't uh, uh, the message. First, yeah, let's go. They titled Jesus as the Millennium. I'm not sure we can put a title on that. But he is my Savior. And I hope he's yours. Looking for not him. yours. I hope you'll learn about him more in this series. Just wait. Just wait. Him. Let's shut that Guys, I want to cover this a little bit if you've got the slide. Yeah, there was an email that, that was sent out this week uh, about Ebony's place. Four, something like that, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, 22 through 24. Mm -hmm. 22. If you haven't been to the camp, Getting off that, Ebenezer has a need for a larger meeting facility. This email was sent out. Uh, and let me share with you just a little bit. I think you get the body out of somewhere. Yeah. Phil's message to us, and I'm reading this because if you did not get it, I want you to be aware of it and help us getting the word out. I'm asking to share in the evidence this year camp experience. I want to update you on the results. The special gathering. That was the motor club. That night we had pledges of 55. Kicking off the campaign fundraiser. And there's two things to that. You're kicking off but you're also kicking off the involvement of men alumni from Deer Camp. We have plans for improving Ebenezer Place. See the flyer, the flyer above, which will be below this email. The prayer goal is that a thousand men would give $250 or more. We want all Deer Camp alumni to share the vision. Below are the links to the video that explains the vision, as well as the giving link. The link that Jeff was just on above it that's uh, in black is the link to the YouTube channel for uh, explanation there at Deer Camp.
Thank you, Joe. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Morning. This is not on, right? It is not on. There you go. There you go. Good morning, gentlemen. There we go. Good morning. <laughs> um, I have a song for you that I hope um, will awaken all of our hearts. I mean, music is God's um, way of uh, connecting us uh, to our heart. Um, reckless love. And... Um, our whole session this morning in our series on Marine Jesus um, is about extravagant generosity. I hope that you um, believe in a Jesus, believe in a God who is generous, uh, who truly does have the interest and the capability of providing for all that you need. And what you have is far more than you deserve and uh, he is generous beyond generous. You believe that? I believe that. Reckless love. Follow with me as I read just a, a few of the words here. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never endless, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, <clears throat> reckless love of God. May you hear the voice of God and he open our hearts to what he has for us this morning. Joining us now, the founders of Bethel Music. Brian and Jen Johnson. Thank you guys, good to be here. What does reverent wonder mean to us as worshipers of a living God? It means that we bow in humility for the grace we experience day to day. It means to pursue intimacy with God and allowing his presence to permeate every aspect of our lives. And it means to spread the message of God's reckless love through our words and actions. In drawing us together in worship, we welcome our dear friend, Mr. Reckless Love, Corey Asbury. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. Yeah, you did, Father. You have been so, so kind to me. Leave the 
Amen. 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 Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Marine Jesus, he is with you always, just like your rifle. I love that. Simplify, always faithful. To be a Marine means a daily commitment to live up to the highest standards. Being a Marine means to be ever accountable to the warrior ethos, which adheres to these fundamental truths. Character counts, honesty is incorruptible, and integrity means everything. We need our Christian commitment to be more Marine-like than what our culture has made Christian mm. men mm. to be. Mm. Amen? Jesus modeled a warrior-like character. 
When we discover his true character, we uncover the real Jesus. The true knowledge of Jesus is our greatest need and our greatest happiness. This study will help us be the men God designed us to be, men willing to initiate, take responsibility, and to fight for a cause greater than ourselves. Simplify. Hmm. Several weeks ago, um, I shared just a brief clip of a group of Marines helping a young lady um, in a flood. Um, I love watching Steve Hartman of CBS News. He does his piece uh, on the CBS Evening News on Friday. He's um, uh, kind of the modern day uh, Charles Kuralt. Uh Some of you guys are old enough as I am to remember Charles Kuralt and his Winnebago. <laughs> uh, and he would drive around uh, doing just personal interest stores. He actually showed up in Peters Holler, Tennessee at the Peters Holler egg fight on an Easter Sunday. That's another whole story. I, I digress. <laughs> I'm ADD. Um, but Steve Hartman uh, did a longer piece on the uh, brief piece about these Marines helping and kind of told more of the story. What's this, Marine <laughs> Jesus? Congratulations are in order for Steve Hartman, winner of a just announced Emmy Award. This morning, he has the tale of an answered prayer. Traffic and weather on the 8th. It was a deceptively beautiful morning in the nation's capital. Severe weather is not expected today. But by that afternoon, several inches of heavy rain had fallen in parts of the district. And no one was caught more off guard that September day than Virginia Waller of Hagerstown, Maryland. Virginia was coming down this exit ramp when she ran headlong into a flash flood. Hit the water with such force it tore off her license plate. Water so deep, her car wouldn't budge. It was scary. Had you ever felt that scared before? No, I thought I could die. Virginia is a woman of faith, but she says she's never prayed harder than she did at that moment. Clinging onto the hope that God heard me. A minute passed. You had to think you were seeing things. Yeah, in the, for a second, it was like, this is real. So I had to take my phone out and, and start recording it. So cool! What Virginia we saw was the next best thing to the hand of God. The Marines are gonna help <laughs> yeah. us! Marines in dress blues who seemed to appear out of nowhere. Thank you so much! Believe it or not, I've actually met these same men before and can personally vouch for their strength of character and their strength. Back in 2019, we did a story on this elite group known as the Body Bearers. Their mission here at Arlington Cemetery is to shoulder the burden of American grief, literally. Men so humble in their charge, they rarely do interviews, and were especially reluctant to talk about rescuing Virginia that day. Yeah. We had to fight to get you on camera. Yeah, well. But they sat for me because they thought there could be a lesson in this. The more I thought about it, I was like, well, that's, this is kind of a platform to tell people to be the one to get out of your car. Like, that's got to be the takeaway. In other words, it should be the motto of all Americans to leave no man behind. Not in a war, not in a flood, not anywhere in any way. Oh, my God. 
they didn't ask who we were. They just helped selflessly. And they didn't leave us behind that day. And there's the first push oh, yeah. in this American oh, rescue God. plan. This is the most American thing ever. Marine Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely. Just just a little side note. You mentioned Charles Corralt. You know, he basically was he lived a double life. That's why he lived in the Winnebago. He had a wife on the West Coast and his wife on the East Coast. Separate five. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Little Charles Corral. <laughs> you know, so know. there you go. Ask the Google. That's right. It's not me. Just crush, that's why, I just crushed that's, you. That's why I love my friend here. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Good mental health is a commitment, Amen. a relentless commitment to living in reality. Amen. <laughs> So, gentlemen, this morning, um, extravagant generosity. I believe in a God, in a Jesus um, who uh, likes to show up and show out. Uh, one of the struggles in my own life because of my father wound and how we project our fathers uh, onto God, because uh, obviously our fathers are God to us when we're little. <laughs> and, um, you know, children don't go into abstract thinking until after five years old into six and seven years old before you can kind of uh, think of, of, of God out there and kind of get an abstract uh, sense of reality. So up until then, it's very concrete. And so your dad was God and is God. I mean, you know, my dad is my hero when I'm four years old, five years old. Um, and and um, the way I experienced my dad growing up was physically available and emotionally absent. I could see him, but I didn't feel him. He didn't know how to connect emotionally. And so... You know, my struggle with God to this day is um, really believing that he is going to show up and he will show out on my behalf. There's a there's a great book that illustrates kind of this uh, idea that uh, our parents uh, represent God because that's what God set up the family for. Right. A little child. A baby has no concept of God, and we are to represent him until that child kind of begins to figure that out. Um, the book is called Angry Conversations with God by Susan Isaacs. Uh, she was a regular on Seinfeld, so she's a comedian actress. And the premise of the book is she takes God to marriage counseling. And at the end of each chapter is a transcript of the sessions uh, with her and Rudy, the Christian counselor, and God. 
It is absolutely hilarious. It's a good book. Very well written. It is funny. And she makes this point uh, very well in the book. Uh, now, Jesus shows up every now and then in the sessions. And Jesus is kind of like surfer dude Jesus. Kind of, he's there, but he's not there. He's just kind of like looking off into space, right? Mm. I'm not going to give the, uh, I won't do the uh, spoiler, uh, but there's a reason why she has that image of Jesus and that image of God. Mm -hmm. Great book. Yep. Angry Conversations with God. What's the last name? Susan Isaacs. Yeah. So again, guys, we're, we're all in a journey to really see Jesus um, as he is presented to us in the revelation of God, Scripture. But it is a fight um, to, to see Jesus as he is mm. rather than our projections of him. So here's the question that I want you to journal um, this morning that's not a part of your journal questions. Uh, I want to start a little bit different this morning. So I want you to think of creation, God's cathedral, creation. Scripture says the whole earth is filled with his glory. What does creation tell you about Jesus? I want you to write down three words. What words come to mind when you think of how creation tells us about Jesus? What three words come to your mind? If the only way that you knew Jesus was through his creation, it's like going into a museum and you're going through the art gallery of a particular artist. What does that artistry tell you about the artist. What words come to your mind? Three words. So continue to write. And those of you who would share, just yell out a word. What word? Wow. wow. Good, Kevin. Love it. Wow. Big. 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 Order. Order. Creative. Creative. That was a Presbyterian in the back. I said order. <laughs> Wild. Magical. Magical. Detailed. Detailed. All powerful. All powerful. Mystery. Mystery. Mm. Connectivity. Connectivity. Just. Just. Creation. An artist is revealed in the work that he creates and in the abundance of the work created. Scripture says all things were created through him and without him nothing has been made that has been made. Majestic, powerful, wild, dangerous. I love our summer trips that we're able to take 25, 30 guys go into God's cathedral. 
and um, the last few weeks uh, to anybody that would sit and listen, um, family and friends. I've shown the Alaska video of our, our trip that we took a month ago. Uh, you come to my house, you get to see my slideshow. You know? <laughs> uh, and it's just like, wow, you know, uh, the beauty of God's creation tells me something about him. Mm -hmm. Extravagant generosity. Extravagant. Wildness. You know, that song, Reckless Love, always reminds me of uh, Rich Mullins uh, in one of his songs. One of the lines in the song was, the reckless rage and fury that is the love of God. Boy, that's what comes to mind for me, mm, especially when we're out there in rugged territory. Mm, yeah. So turn over to John uh, chapter 2. And let's dig into uh, an early episode of Jesus. And as I mentioned to you last week, I love going through the Gospel of John uh, because John's Gospel is different than the other three. Um, John basically just gives us 21 snapshots of Jesus. Um, so much could be given about Jesus. John chose 21 snapshots. And so early on in John chapter 2, he gives us, everybody knows about the story of the water to wine. But let's dig into it with our imagination um, and see this um, in the wildness uh, of Jesus. Verse 1. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. And when they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him they're just about out of wine. And verse 4 is amazing. <laughs> no, you, you have got to, you've got to wrestle with verse 4. Because if this were taken out of context and we didn't understand what was happening, we would never proclaim Jesus um, as without sin. Because where I grew up, you don't disrespect your mama. <laughs> now listen to how this is written, verse 4. Jesus said, is that any uh, of our business, mother? Yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. Now, dude, if I would have said that to LMA at a time in my life, I, I mean, I, a funny story. Um, we're in uh, uh, the vegetable garden. And uh, I, I don't even remember what four-letter word it was, but somehow, you know, I don't know, I was eight or nine years old, and I'd learned a four-letter word at school. I didn't even know what it was. And I let that four-letter word uh, fly out there in the garden because I just thought, well, I've learned it. I'll just use it with LMA. <laughs> Dude, that didn't work out too good because <laughs> I got a spanking, and then I got my mouth washed out with soap, <laughs> literally. I mean, who does that kind of stuff anymore, you know? So, you know, if I would have talked the way that it appears that Jesus talked to his mother, um, that would have been disrespectful, at least, at least disrespectful. But it's a bad, um, 
um, American translation, the way we would read that, the way it really reads is when he uses the word woman, and that's, of course, in, in uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message, he uses mother, but in your study Bible, it says woman. Um, that really, in that culture, in that context, was, it was a, as if you're saying ma'am. So it's like woman, <laughs> you know, that's the way we would use it, right? But what he was saying was ma'am. It was most respectful. So, it, but it doesn't sound that way when it's just translated woman, because it sounds so impersonal. But it was really as if he was saying, ma'am. And then um, what he's really saying in a good non-codependent way, is this really my responsibility? Um, he's not in any way challenging or being disrespectful to his mother. But Jesus very much had a mission and he was on a timeline. He understood what his purpose was. And he was just simply saying to his mother in a respectful way, um, I have a purpose to my life. Uh, so don't read it in any way as disrespectful uh, to his mother. Obviously, that's not what Jesus was saying. Maybe we could read it as Jesus was well boundaried. That's very healthy. Mm. And Jesus yeah. was that. There's other lots of examples where Jesus is just expressing healthy boundaries. Mm. He knew who he was. He knew what he was about. He knew what he would do. He knew what he would not do. He knew what he would accept. He knew what he would not accept. Mm. And so maybe Mother Mary, being the good, overly involved Jewish mother that she was, maybe she was a boundary crosser, <laughs> right? And Jesus is just setting the boundary. Yep. Very healthy. Uh, as I've said to you before, you know, the most amazing thing to me about Jesus was not what he was getting ready to do here or died on the cross and so on, uh, but that he could say no when he could have healed, changed. Uh, he could have helped that situation, but he would say no and walk away. Boundaries. How do you do that? You can do that when you're Jesus. Verse 5. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Somehow, somehow mama knew. <laughs> I mean, do you get uh, the fun part of this? You know, Jesus said what he said, but I think mama kind of gave him a look, you know, and there's a lot of nonverbal going on here because then Mary says, look, whatever he tells you, do it. May that be the motto of all of our lives, the mantra of our lives. Whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he tells you, do it. May, may that echo in your head all day, like the song at Disney World, it's a small, small world. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it reads uh, something like, you know, I, her exasperation. Because here's Jesus kind of doing it again. You know, he's just not giving in to mama, right? Jesus is well boundaried. And maybe she's just like, oh my gosh, 
you know, I don't know what he's about. What I, She's exasperated, just frustrated again, because little Jesus won't do what mama says. Mm-hmm. And maybe she's like, I don't know, whatever he says, just do that. <laughs> right? Put the emotion in it. Mm-hmm. Jewish mothers uh, kind of have a history of being that, mm-hmm. right? You have to see that. So the, so the first point there on your outline um, that you can jump over to, do what he says. Do what he says. Um, again, something for us to remember. As we've already said, you know, like a Jewish turns to the servant and validates the servant. Jesus adored his mom. The beauty of the relationship is revealed. She knows all she has to do is ask. So I got to jump in. Like, I, of course, did not read the outline when Phil, we were putting it together. I just read my part, of course. And when I'm reading it and I see Jesus adored his mother, I didn't have time to email Phil and say, dude, take that out, right? Because I don't believe that just sounds like a mama's boy, right? I don't think Jesus was a mama's boy. Like to adore your mother maybe is just kind of a little overboard. Certainly respect, love, take care of, whatever. But adore, I think I want to reserve that for my bride, not my mama. There was a book written a couple of years ago. I don't know how I, I came across a copy or something, but I, I don't even want to say the title, but it was a guy writing about his mama and the promises that he had made his mama. And it just, I read a little excerpt from it or something, and I thought, eh, that's kind of creepy uh, in a way. And, and basically, as I read it, it was just this overly enmeshed relationship with mama. But he was lifting it up as some kind of an example. And guess what the guy did for a living? He was kind of a beauty pageant guy. So I'm just saying, I don't know. I, I did not like it. So just another way to look at this. So do what he says. Do what he says. Verse five. She went ahead anyway, telling you something, whatever he tells you, do it. Six stoneware water pots were there used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, Jesus said, and they did. This is an interesting detail here that John includes. I mean, he could have easily just said, and and Jesus adored his mother, and he made the wine. Kind of like the bathhouse. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But John makes this a very detailed piece. Um, I think John's trying to make a point here. Extravagant generosity. 
I mean, when you break that down, those six stone jars um, held up to 30 gallons each. 30 gallons. That, that um, came out to 180 gallons of wine. Non-fermented, of course. Uh, grape juice, right. <laughs> um, the and he even makes the point, the jars were filled to the brim. Um, that's the equivalent of 908 bottles of wine. Nine, I, you know, I've been in some wonderful homes where guys will take me down to their wine cellar and they show me their... 50, 100 bottles of wine. If Jesus was showing his wine cellar, he would have over 908 bottles of wine or more. Guys, the, the, the point is just the extravagant generosity of Jesus. And then it goes on to say, when the host tasted the water that had become wine, he didn't know what had just happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom, everybody I know begins with their finest wines. Mm. And after everybody's drunk, I, I'm sorry, and, and after the guests have had their <laughs> fill, brings in the cheap stuff. <laughs> but you've saved the best till now. Mm, mm, mm. As grandma says, save your fork. The best is yet to come. He saved the best to last. Why did he do that? Why, why did Jesus even do this miracle? And he, and he was resistant at first um, because of, again, the mission and the timeline that he was on. But this uh, act, verse 11, look at verse 11. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first <laughs> glimpse of his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first glimpse of glory. Now, again, a better even Greek word. Now, this is the Greek word. The Greek word um, for glory is splendor or beauty. Now let's change that for a minute. What if the word didn't say glory, which is kind of a, a, ch a church word, a religious word, a Bible word. Um, the, the glory um, um, is, a, is a word that we don't often use. But if it was like the splendor of Jesus was on full display, the beauty of Jesus, the magnificent was on display. It's like standing in a great uh, area of his creation and seeing the mountains and the trees and all of his glory. And the disciples said, as we said over here, Kevin, wow, wow. There's something different about this guy. You know, several years ago, uh, the uh, trip we went on to Yarmany Ranch, uh, mm -hmm. which basically was like going to heaven uh, in many ways. Uh, and that's one of the things that they talked about when we got there is they wanted to create an experience uh, as to what they believed it will be like. And their kind of their motto uh, that they used was they practiced extravagant grace and radical 
hospitality. Mm. It was inviting, right? And that's what Jesus models here. Mm. Certainly, extravagant grace. He didn't have to do that. He did. And it was radical hospitality. Mm. I mean, Jesus wine. Come on. Amen. That's going to be the best ever, right? Amen. And again, guys, this this whole passage is intended to help us see the beauty of Jesus. Uh, here is the same stunning generosity that we see pouring forth in creation. Uh, the whole earth is filled with his glory, Isaiah 6, 3. Is that every day that we get up and we look out, if we take a minute to get our eyes just off of our car keys and our car and, and just, you know, just the immediate things in front of us, but if we would see the beauty of God's creation, that we would start each day with a wow. That we would believe, I would believe, that God will show up for me this day and that he will show out even this day. I mean, what is it going on in your life right now that you are struggling to believe that God cares, that he's aware, that he will show up and show out and express extravagant generosity? Mm. At the risk of offending more people, um, I just want to read, because uh, this, you know, we're, we haven't gotten through one of these outlines yet, but we're working on it, right? I think this kind of sums up the, um, certainly the, uh, the, the last two parts of the outline. And this is from a book, uh, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World. Uh, this is, uh, we've talked about uh, Lieutenant General uh, Jerry Boykin. And this is uh, out of his book. Um, and while we're thinking about the impression religion can make on our youth, I hate to have to say it, but the feminizing of men and boys has entered the Christian world as well. In fact, sad as it is, in some church circles, the person of Jesus Christ is introduced in story, sacred art, and song as effeminate. And that's just wrong. Jesus was a strong, physically resilient man. He's described as a carpenter who worked with his hands to construct houses and furniture. He was a builder, and in the first century, he would also have needed to work with stone. Some historians have been even described him as a stonemason. That's what builders did in those days. Jesus was a robust, rugged man from Nazareth a simple village offering few comforts to its working class. He had to have stamina to survive his desert ordeal, fasting for 40 days during his temptation. He needed physical endurance to make the long walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem three times a year and in all kinds of weather to celebrate the Jewish holidays. We know he spent time with fishermen, Anybody hung out with fishermen and sailors? A rugged and smelly crowd. We also have been told he was capable of dangerously wielding a whip when necessary. The effeminate pale Galilean who appears in some Sunday school portraits and descriptions of Jesus is a false image of the man 
God embodied to live in this world for 33 grueling years. The Jesus who walked this earth was a man's man. He is our model for manhood in particular and for living a life pleasing to God. That's why Peter, one of those smelly, rough fishermen, tells us Jesus left an example and we should follow in his steps. Mm. I didn't yeah. Amen. I didn't I didn't say that. Right, General Boykin, please. Amen. Yeah. Man to man, rediscovering masculinity in a challenging world. Yeah. Um, written by Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. We're gonna show you some clips out of him because we had the privilege of uh, uh, having him uh, be one of the keynote speakers at our uh, American Association of Christian Counselors Conference that Ron and I attended uh, several weeks ago. But a uh, great book, great man, um, loves Jesus and has served our country well. So I want you to consider these questions um, as we close. The, um, the journal questions. <clears throat> Journal this. So we kind of close with our journaling. Where do you see beauty? See, I believe that God has intended us to be inspired to serve him, to walk with him because of his beauty rather than his call to morality. I think if we are called to morality, that is like trying to take a hike uh, on a long trip and be ill-prepared, you're going to stop. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, after each day, as I've shared with you before, at the end of each uh, creation day, uh, what is um, uh, said about each creation um, is it was good. It was good. Now, the same Hebrew word that is translated for good also means beauty. Now, let me ask you to use your imagination for a minute. What if in our Bibles it read um, just as easily, it was beautiful rather than reading, it was good? Now, in one sense, it means the same thing. It was, it was good. It was great. It was beautiful. But in my mind... <laughs> When I read it was good, it was something about like it was morally good. It wasn't bad. It was appropriate. It was good. It, it kind of takes me to a, a kind of legalistic, evaluative sort of way. But when it says it was beautiful, then Kevin, that's when I kind of drop my jaw and I go, wow. Now that's a totally different experience, is it not? Where do you see beauty? As opposed to saying, where do you see right and wrong? Um, I hate judgmental people. I look down on people who judge people. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be judgmental. So if you judge people, I look down on you. I don't like you. I don't like the judgmentalness in my own heart. I'm inspired by beauty, and I think that's the way God intended it to be. Question number two, when have you experienced the generosity of another? What we have is far more than we deserve. Are you grateful? 
or are you just bitter? I know there's always more. <laughs> I always want more. I wish I had more. There's things I wish God would do. But boy, what I have. Would I trade with you right now? Would you trade with somebody else? I understand that there's guys in this room that are going through the hardest time of their life. But you're still a blessed man. You're still blessed. God is an extravagant, generous God. His reckless love is powerful. And then the final question that I would just ask you to consider, are you a generous person? Are you? Are you a generous person? Like in the little clip that we saw the Marines, they get out of the, of the, of the bus and generously walk in their dress blues. I mean, that was going to be a mess uh, uh, to get all the uh, wet clothes, shoes back into inspection ready. Are you generous? Are you generous? God's called us um, to be like Jesus. I believe Jesus is much more masculine than we often allow him to be. Much, much more than we trust him to be. My prayer today for me and for you mm -hmm. is that I would see Jesus as he is revealed in his word and not in my broken heart. See Jesus um, as Marine Jesus, truly masculine in every way, calling us to a sense of beauty and expectation, extravagant generosity, as he's portrayed in Scripture. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you uh, so much uh, for what you have shown us um, through your word, even through this episode of a wedding in Canaan, that Jesus chose this time of celebration to concretely reveal his glory, his beauty, his splendor. May we do what he says. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm. Have a great week.